Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. How's everybody doing this morning? Man, good to see all your beautiful faces. Thank you for joining us if it's your first time. If we were to equate what this service represents, it's the Super Bowl of Christianity. It's the most paramount moment of our lives of where the fulfillment of everything that God wanted to accomplish in the earth happened. You guys understand that? It, is a, it was a huge deal. No pressure, guys. All the eyes are on you. Mm. My wife and I did missionary work for a big portion of our life. You better be flexible or you'll die. We figure out how we're going to work it out, and then sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> Give him a few more moments. And the winner is not Robert. <laughs> And tying your shoes has never been so hard, huh? Got it? Thank you, sir. <laughs> so, so this morning, I'm going to just uh, pray over you guys from Ephesians 1 as we start out. Ephesians 1, 17 through 19. This passage, it says, I keep asking that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, our glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation today so that you may know him better. So that's my prayer, first and foremost, that Father God would give each of you wisdom and revelation so that each of you personally may know God better. That's the whole point of this. It's not to entertain you. It's not to have the most eggs. It's not to, to walk away with the most prizes. But it's that we might come to a deeper understanding of who Father God is and his love for us, his compassion for us, and just this, this monumental moment in time when he raised from the dead. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. So this is the type of hope that he's called you to this morning. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparable great power for us who believe. We have any believers in the house? Okay, so this incomparable power that he's talking about is for you. That power is like the working of his mighty strength. And this is when he released it. This is when he let it go in verse 20. It says, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. That's the name that he gave Christ. There is no greater name than the name of Jesus. We finish out this passage and it says, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fulfills everything in every single way. So what does that mean? Jesus can take care of everything. There's nothing that you're going through this morning. There's nothing that you've been through where God can't put his hand of grace on it and save you from that moment. And if we look at our lives, you know, the grace that he's given us throughout this lifetime, 
It's just been such a blessing because he's taken care of us up to this point, right? We're all still here, alive and breathing, right? So he's been faithful. His goodness has been available to us throughout our whole life. So this morning that you'd have ears to hear and a heart to receive all that Father God desires to communicate to you this morning. Amen? Amen? So first and foremost, happy Resurrection Sunday. Happy Resurrection Sunday. A little excitement in our bones, right? Resurrection Sunday. <laughs> Praise God. He's risen, and he's risen indeed. So we're going to practice this this morning, okay? Anytime I say that he is risen, he is risen indeed. I encourage you guys to repeat that statement after that first statement, okay? He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Just as he says he would. Every single time. So today we really celebrate the most exciting moment of our Christian faith. Today is the day we celebrate Jesus Christ's victory over death, hell, and the grave. He left nothing undone. We have to realize that. You know, he didn't mess up. There weren't, weren't any gaps in that process. It was a, when he, when he said on that cross, he said, it is finished, period. It wasn't a dot, dot, dot. We're going to leave it open-ended and there's a lot more for me to accomplish. There was nothing else to be done. But what happened at that moment of where he raised from the dead, it released us to live a life that God has given us to live courageously, boldly, loved when we don't deserve the love. We think about the price that was paid, that death on the cross, that gruesome death on the cross. You know, I tend to think that, you know, you see the power of, the, of a mother, right? You know, when her child is in danger or something happens, all of a sudden, man, kicks into mama bear mode and is a defender and is driven by a love unconditional for her children. Well, Jesus had the same compassion, and he, it, says, it says many times in Scripture, it says he was, he was led, led and driven by compassion, therefore he, and this was when he was living his life. So how much compassion do you think that he had when he was walking up the hill to his certain death? Man, you'd have to be driven. You would have to be filled with so much compassion and so much focus and so much commitment for you and for me. So Jesus released resurrection power to all who believe and, and, and desired and, and who choose to place their trust in him. He's released that power to us. Got a slide for you this morning. I saw it floating around Facebook. Man, I felt like it was so, so powerful. You guys got it? I didn't write it, so I'm gonna have to read it. Did anybody see this quote? Super, super powerful. I'm going to read it to you. It says, greatest man in history named Jesus. He had no servants, yet they called him master. He had no degree, yet they called him teacher. He had no medicine, yet they called him healer. He had no army, yet kings feared him. He won no military battles, yet he conquered the world. He committed no crime, yet they crucified him. He was buried in a tomb, but yet he lives today. This, this is the paramount picture that changed everything. There's so many religions out there, but they do not serve a risen king. They were men who lived a life and they died and they're still in the grave today. 
There was no resurrection power released. And at that moment, it changed everything. That power was released into the earth so that we might be forgiven, that we might be saved. Look at a passage, Acts 2, 22 through 24. Starting in verse 22, Acts 2, it says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. So we saw all of these things happen through his life here on the earth. And it says, Which God did among you through him, as you, you, you yourselves know. Verse 23, This man was handed over to you, listen to this part, by God's set purpose and foreknowledge and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. I think, man, it was a struggle. Man, e even for, for Jesus, maybe for that moment to even let the devil feel like he was winning. But he knew at the end that he would be victorious. Romans 8, 11, it says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. We have to understand this, power, this, this resurrection power that was released through the resurrection. He died so we wouldn't have to die. He was raised to life so that we might have new life and have it not just a... a Mediocre life, but a life abundantly. Life that is, is exciting. Something worth living for and actually something worth dying for. You know, I, I'm challenged sometimes of when, if, it got, if you got in a position, you know, we hear a lot of stories about uh, martyrs. They're still, they're still here today. Thank God in America we don't deal with it as confrontational as some other countries, but there has been people that even in this day and age that have been martyred for their faith. So if your life was at stake, would you deny or would you, would you boldfully, boastfully say, I believe in Jesus Christ with all my life, even unto death? Because it's very, very easy to proclaim, proclaim, proclaim Christ when everything is okay and it's easy and there's nothing at stake. But when we live that way, it is going to cause us to live a mediocre Christianity that isn't bold for God, that isn't sold out for God, and it's going to be very difficult if we don't live that way on a regular basis. If it came to the point of where we had to choose him over our life, it would be very difficult to make that choice in the moment of turmoil and hardship and fear and uncertainty if we don't live that way every single day of our lives. We have to live every single day as if it was our last. Let's look at another passage, John 2, 18 through 22. It says, Then the Jews demanded of him, What miraculous signs can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? Then Jesus responds in verse 19 of John 2. It says, Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. The Jews replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple. And you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he spoke of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. I think sometimes in our life, we kind of put God in that box. We say, God, show me and then I'll believe. 
What, I need to see something before I believe it. And, we're, and culture, the world, that's how we're driven. I, don't, I won't believe it unless I see it. But what is the definition of faith? Faith is believing in what we cannot see as an absolute truth, as if it was true. And what does the word say about faith? It says, without faith, it's what? Impossible to please God. This is the key that unlocks everything in your life. You can't be saved without faith in Christ. It's, it's, it's not enough just to know about it. Your heart has to be transformed and surrendered to it. But he was talking about his body that would be raised in three days. And we, we often always, they were looking at a physical temple. They, Jesus always had a habit of, of taking the natural and always encouraging us to look into the spiritual all throughout his word, over and over and over again. He wants us to look, what he's, what, he wants us to hear in the natural, but apply it spiritually. John three sixteen, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the only hope that we have as for salvation of our souls, of a saving for our life. Verse 17 because we tend to stop at verse 16, but verse 17 gives us a little bit more of the picture. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We have to understand that God is not the bad guy. We are the sinners in deserving of hell. And he had a redemptive plan to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die and redeem us for the sin that we could not pay the debt for. He had a plan. He had a purpose that scripture that we shared uh, previously, it just says that this was part of God. God foreknew the plan, and he set everything in motion according to his plan. God isn't a God of chaos that says, well, maybe this will work. It worked perfectly, exactly like he intended it to. And then when it was completed, Jesus on that cross said, it is finished, and completed the work. Let's look at Matthew 27. Giving you a handful of scriptures this morning. Matthew 27, we're going to look roughly 45 through 54. So this, this talks about the death of Jesus. Because we have to understand what happened through that process of the death in order to really appreciate the resurrection. Because sometimes I think we'll take it for granted. The crucifixion was gruesome. It was utter punishment. It was blasphemous. It was just, man, it was, it, was the, it's, it was really the most horrific way to die. You know, I know in a lot of the pictures, you know, he has his loincloth on and he's spread. They were naked. Just think about that. Just, just put yourself in that position. Be enough humiliation for me. You ain't even got to crucify me. Right? Think about it. He's like, sorry, guys, for everybody, right? Think about just the humiliation. But yet it was way beyond that. He was stripped down to the place of humiliation, and then nailed to the cross, spit on, cursed at, laughed at, whipped. This brutality moment for our sake. Reminded of Scripture, what does he say? He says, nobody can take my life, but I willfully give it. He could not take it, but he said, I willfully give it. 
And I think that's what happened in heaven when God and Jesus were sitting there and they said, how do we fix this problem of this separation factor between man and God? And I'm sure, I mean, I don't, I don't really know how this ah moment happened, but I, I, I'm sure it was something like, man, well, there has to be a sacrifice. There has to be a blood sacrifice that's perfect, that's, that's unblemished if man's separation is to be reunited before God. And I don't know who got it first, if it was God or Jesus, but it says that three or one, they're all together. So I think at, that sa- at all the same time, they knew what the plan was. And Jesus said, man, I'm gonna go. That's the only way. So he, he, he removed his, his heavenly crown and he laid it and became man in the flesh so that we might have life. He willfully gave it. Matthew 27, that 45, when we look, look at that passage, we'll start in 45 and look through 54. So it says, from the sixth hour until nine, the nine hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabathani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 47, when some of those standing here heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. He gave up his spirit. Verse 51, it says, At that moment, the curtains of the temple were torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open. And the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. Verse 53, Then came out of the tombs, and then after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those who, who, were, who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified And they exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. It came a moment where all of the accusations shifted and they were faced with the reality that perhaps, but it says, it wasn't a perhaps, well, maybe. It says, surely this man was the son of God. And I think at that moment, truth was released into their heart an understanding of who he was and the price he was willing to pay for the sins of the world. Those who were accusing him, deserving of death, that he would stretch his arms as far as he could for the sake of those also. Those deserving death. And at that moment when his spirit left his body, I believe that there was a moment where the devil Assumed he won. He says, I have killed the king of glory. And there was this momentary shout from the darkest depths of destruction and evilness. And we won. We have killed the king of the universe. But we know the whole story. And that was just a momentary lapse thought of victory. Because in three days, he was going to come back. And he was going to show them who the real king of kings and the Lord of Lord was. The devil didn't realize the plan that was at stake and had been in, in, in play for the creation of the world. 
You know, because we think this time of when Jesus came, it was a long, drawn-out period. It wasn't like, you know, Adam and Eve, Jesus died, and we're here. You know, this was, a, this, was this huge timeline that happened. They were waiting for the birth of Jesus, and then, then even when they saw Jesus in the manger, they said, perhaps this is the one, the Savior of the world, that the, that the Word of God has prophesied about. Surely this might be the one that the Scripture has promised. And there was speculation. There wasn't, there wasn't any absolutes at that point. Let's look at Isaiah 53. We'll look verses 2 through 7 and 10. We'll have it pulled up here also. It says, in verse 2, it says, He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. So this is describing Jesus. This is what it looked like. It says, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we would desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we were healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was openly oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. And then if we go down to verse 10, it says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. So we ask the question, why did it have to happen? Because it must happen to get to the place of forgiveness and freedom that we have today. Someone had to pay the price for all the sins of the earth, for all the sins of the world. Romans 4, 25, it says, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So we look at this, this process of what happened. Man, this was a life-changing, reckoning moment to where the king of the world was resurrected and forgiveness was released into the earth that had never before been present. You know, that was the dividing line of the Old Testament into the New Testament where it talks about we are now under a new covenant. The blood of Christ offers us a better covenant. Why? Because it covers us for a lifetime. For anything we've done, anything we're doing, or anything we will ever do, it, it, it goes without end for those who believe. Man, that is, that is the greatest gift ever given. Redemption from sin, justification. Justification means just as if I had never sinned. That's how God sees me under the covering of his blood. Man, that's humbling. Because think back, how many horrible things have we done in our life don't say what you did but just think about it well you remember that time oh yeah i remember don't bring it up i don't like talking about it all of those things god forgave us of he says he says i take those and i throw them into the sea of forgetfulness he chooses not to see those anymore he chooses not to hold those sins against us anymore but apart from jesus we're accountable to those sins 
And it says sin equals death. But God has provided a way out through the price of his son. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrated his own love in us that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. In our worst state, that's when God chose us. Think about that. That's a, that's a humbling statement. Not when I'm good and all polished up and then I'm deserving of God, but those moments of my ugly filthiness, deserving of death. That's when he said, son, I want you. Daughter, I desire you. There's nothing I wouldn't do for you, even up to death on the cross. But I'm gonna release to you every good and perfect gift because I don't only want you, but I want you to rule and reign victorious with me here on this earth, here in this lifetime. That was the picture that was, pay, that, that was, that was painted. Matthew 28, this is right... Uh, when Jesus comes back, he starts revealing himself to them. Matthew 28, 1 through 10, talks about the resurrection. They show up. Uh, he, he's not there. The violent earthquake, you know, the angel of the Lord comes down from heaven. Uh, he rolls back the tomb. In 28, 3, it says, his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and they became like dead men. So fearful in the presence of God. Then the angel in verse 5 said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who, you, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he laid. Then they went, and they went and told the disciples that he had risen from the dead. They went on to Galilee. And then they communicate. They say, hey, go tell, go tell the disciples. Don't be afraid. Let them know I'm, I'm risen. There's a little part in there. You read it if you get a chance later. But where they try to cover up this whole magnificent thing, they, they tell the guards, hey, lie about it. Say that somebody came and stole the body in the middle of the night. That didn't stick. They, they, try, they tried to, to cover it up. And then if we get to, to towards the end, it says in verse 17, and this is what the part I really want to focus on. It says, then they saw him. So that means they, 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 they physically laid their eyes on him. They saw him. They worshiped him. And then that last statement, but some doubted. I step back and I scratch my head. I'm like, man, okay, so you saw the man that you loved and that you followed crucified on a cross. He said that he would raise in three days. Then you see the fruition of all of that. They get to the place of where they see him. They worship him. And then some have the audacity to say, mm, I don't know about this. I think if I was one of the 12 disciples and one of them would be like, snap out of it. <laughs> what you see is what you see. This is, the, this is the prophecy of everything that was spoken. Everything that he said had come to pass. Let's look at John 20 real quick. You guys know the story about uh, doubting Thomas. I don't know if this was specifically the one that he was talking about doubted, but in John 20, 24 through 29, it says, now Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So, sorry, dude, I don't know if he was going on a grocery run 
what happened? But this guy missed it when Jesus showed up. So at that point, I can say, okay, maybe they didn't believe because they're like, you're just lying. You're just, you're trying to pull one over on me, right? But it says that he was not present when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. So really, what, that, that right there, we are at the same place that Thomas was. We weren't there when he came back, but all we can believe unto is what has been communicated through the word and the understanding of what we have in faith to which we believe. I can tell you today that he's raised from the dead and that he's living and, and he, he's, he's no longer in the grave. But there can be a measure of doubt if we're not careful. You say, oh man, that's kind of hard to believe. You can be at that same spot that he was. So then we go on, it says, but he's, and he says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my fingers where the nails were and I put my hand onto his side, I will not believe it. Now, I, I kind of think it's like, man, if I was God, I'd be like, fine then. You know, if it's not good enough for you to believe the word spoken, you need more than anybody else. You think you're, you're this special favored disciple, that you need more evidence of, of, my, of what I communicated would happen? Well, God is an awesome God because look what happens. He says, a week later, so I'm, I'm sure he's struggling for a week. He's like, oh, man, they're telling me he's alive. I don't know. And, you know, I don't know if more and more doubt happened, but, you know, he made that request to see his hands, to see his side. It says, a week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them this time. I don't know if he didn't. He said, I ain't going this time, boys. You're not going to get me out of here. I'm going to steadfast, and I'm going to stay here because I'm not going to miss Jesus again, okay? So it says, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So I guess in modern day, he'd come up and he'd say, hey, what's going on, guys? Doors are locked. Well, how'd you get in? Don't worry about that. I don't need a door anymore. You know, you just think of this grand entry of Jesus coming back in this moment of just like, what were they doing? You know, playing cards. Were they, were they about the father's business? Were they still grieving? Were they, were they celebrating? We don't really know. But, but he came back and uh, immediately he says, Thomas. He knew that there was a measure of doubt in the room. He said, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach your hand out. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And that's the word for you this morning. If there's any doubt among you, if there's any measure of doubt, today believe unto salvation, that the king is alive and he's well. Amen. And don't, don't be like Thomas and say, well, Lord, only if. Because it says better to believe and not see that, that rather than seeing and believing. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that Jesus can't show up. And if you, I mean, if you told me, man, he showed up in my room. I was changing. He just walked in and I was like, what do I do? The doors were locked. I felt secured. And he walked in. He said, hey, what's up? Just like he did. I'm, I'm not saying that he can't do that. It's never happened to me. If it does, I would probably fall like they said like dead man and fall face on my ground and be like, what in the world? And then would people believe me? I don't know. They're like, this guy's crazy. But you'd have to believe me because I'm the pastor. <laughs> right? But God is releasing evidence of his reality and, his, and, and who he is here on the earth. Amen. So I don't know this morning what it's going to take for you Put it, to believe the word of God and turn to a place of placing all your hope and confidence in a risen king this morning. 
All I can tell you is the same thing. Stop doubting and believe. Now, if there's something that you feel that God needs to release to you in order for you to believe, I pray God releases it. If you're at that place of where you can't believe because you haven't seen the nail pierced hands or there's some whatever, whatever goodness that you think you need to see in your life before you believe, I pray the windows of heaven are open and you receive that. Because the end result was even Thomas believed at that point. And sometimes we need a little bit of encouragement and we want to rest assured that our faith is solid and that Jesus is who he says he is for yourself. I'm not here this morning for my own salvation. I know into what I believe. My concern this morning is what do you believe? Is there doubt in your life? Did you come this morning just for the eggs and the candy and the celebration? Because if that's all you came for and that's all you leave with, you are going to be left with nothing. Because you're only going to get so many eggs and that candy will run out. It may make you feel better for a few days when you kind of indulge in all that sugar. But it will leave you empty. Even though God has and is continually making himself known here on the earth, there are some of you this morning, and I just really feel this, that, that, are, that still doubt. Jeremiah 29, 13, it says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your heart. Today, you're faced with the power and the glory of the risen king. And he stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. He says, hey, I want to come in. He's like, hey, I want to be involved in your life. I want to help you. I want to give you the answers that you have questions about. But you can't re receive the gifts until you have a relationship with the Father. Now, don't get that backwards where we just trace, chase Christianity for the, the benefits or the gifts because then we're just chasing God for what he can do for us rather than the, the blessing of the, or the, the relationship and being in relationship with him. It's all about relationship, not religion. Head knowledge will not get you to heaven. Only a heart transformed and surrendering of your life, placing your trust in the resurrected king. Today is so much more than eggs, bunnies, and candy. So much more to that. You know, I think about the question, what does the world see when the church celebrates Easter? Think about it. What does the world see? Not what does the church see, what does the church know, but from the outside looking in, what, does, what do, what do non-believers see the church being and celebrating and reinforcing when we think about Easter? So the world must see us celebrating a risen king as a central focus. That's the pinnacle of everything. That's the focus of everything we are, everything we do. The cross has to be woven through our Easter celebration. If not, we're missing the whole point. If we remove the cross, we're all hopeless. If the cross is real, man, we have the, the, the most beneficial prize ever available to us. Easter is the celebration of Jesus' victory on the cross, power over the grave, and the triumph of a resurrected king that sits at the right hand of God because the king is risen. The king is risen. Are you sure about that? I can start all over. The king is risen. Stand up with me this morning. I know that we all go through moments of doubt in our life. I'm not talking about where 
we're challenged or we feel like, man, you know, I'm having a hard time, you know, those ups and downs of our life. I'm talking about a, a lack of faith, doubting, not knowing who God is. I don't want to get in a hurry and just get to the Easter egg hunt and all those things. If there's someone here this morning that says, man, Noe, I, I have doubt. I have an uncertain, uncertainty in my heart that if I were to die at this moment, where I would go. I don't know this resurrected king that you're talking about. I've heard stories. I go to church a lot, so I hear a lot about it. But as far as myself, I don't see it. If we have prayer teams available this morning, I'd like you to come forward just real quick because I want to make, make an opportunity. If you're here this morning, uh and you need specific prayer, just somebody to agree with you. When we don't have all things together, hey, man, the church is a great place to be. You hear me? Those inconvenient moments where everything seems to be getting all messed up. Let me tell you what, it never knocks God off his throne. Never rattles him to the point of where like, man, I wonder if that one kind of got God on edge. No, it got you on edge. Mess your whole world up. But the king is always on his throne. He sees the beginning from the end, the alpha, the omega. And he will, have, he will just release to us whatever grace we need. But there's moments in our life where he causes you to grow through hard seasons. And he says, what? My grace is sufficient. We don't always like that. Just like fix it, Lord. I don't want to deal with that. My grace is sufficient. He doesn't say that it wouldn't be hard, that it wouldn't be challenging, but he promises to never, ever, ever forsake us again in this lifetime, but to journey with us and to walk with us. And he has his Holy Spirit inside of us to lead and guide each of us. So Father, we thank you for your goodness this morning. For each one here under the sound of my voice, Lord, if they don't have a relationship with you or they're doubting or they're having just, just trouble believing, Father, and they are asking for evidence of your existence, God, I pray that you would release it to them, Father that you would release supernatural faith to believe unto salvation this morning. Father, as we go from this place and, and we spend time with family, as we chase after eggs, as we eat our kids' candy, all those good things, God, that we would remember the reason for Easter. Father, that we would walk in a heart of gratitude this whole day. But Lord God, that we would live lives that continually reflect on your goodness and your glory and your victory. Father, we give you all the praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.